Colossians chapter 3. If you need a Bible, would you just hold up your hand and we're going to have our usher team come and hand you a Bible where you're at so you can follow along with us in God's Word. And we are tracking through Colossians verse by verse, chapter to chapter as we've been in this series, Letters from Prison. And we've gone through Ephesians, Philippians, those are all up on our website. And now Colossians, and, and we're just about going to be done Colossians soon. But we're in Colossians 3 and verse 18 is where we pick it up this morning and we get into some tricky stuff here today. <laughs> tricky stuff for a preacher, tricky stuff for the listener from an obedience perspective, tricky for all of us here, but these are scriptures that are meant to show us how to live out this new creation in Christ character among our interpersonal relationships. What is this new creation in Christ character? Well, it's what Paul was addressing already, what we looked at last week in verses 12 and 13 of chapter 3. Look at that there. It says, Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another, and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. Here are these Christian virtues, Christian graces, that we're to put on now as we come to Christ and experience new life in Christ. And these are things that are to be identifying us. And yet, there are things that we can easily be living out in the midst of fellowship together on a Sunday where we don't really have to hear about people's problems so much or get to know people super intimately sometimes. I hope that's happening, but a lot of times on Sundays, we're just kind of moving by people. Hey, how you doing? And we can act in, 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 in you know, love and tender mercies and kindness. People, people might be looking at you going, oh man, that person has really got those Christian graces together. But then when we enter into the home, that's where these things really begin to get tested, right? When you're living together in marriage or with children, and as we'll see, in relationships with employers and employees, these are where these things really begin to get tested. And so Paul begins to lay out how these things are to be lived out and exemplified in these interpersonal relationships that we are engaging in on a day-to-day -day basis oftentimes. Now, verse 18, again, is a, a very, I'm, I'm putting it off as long as I can. I'm, I'm just, I'm going to continue on the intro. <laughs> verse 18 is a, is a pretty tough one to get into, which is why I love that verse 18 follows after verse what? Hey, you guys, you know how to count. Give yourselves a hand. That's awesome. Verse 18 follows after verse 17, which says, and whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So I love this because what we're seeing is that all these things that we're doing were to do in the name of the Lord Jesus. And I love that. Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. That's the original WWJD model right there. What would Jesus do? This kind of allows us to to line things up and act as a guide and motivator now in how we live with one another. See, when you have an attitude against a person or when you're tempted to, to carry out an unfavorable action or response to another person, you can ask, is this able to be done in the name of Jesus? Does this line up with Jesus's character and will? This begins to be a, a, a very good guide and help to us. And, and I'm, I'm very thankful 
that, you know, as we begin to look at what it means to have a happy and holy household, I'm very thankful for a, a household that we've got, and, and yet I understand it takes a lot of work too, right? I've experienced these things. I've, I've been um, happily married for 26 and a half years uh, to Michelle. Uh, Michelle <laughs> is, um, we have three wonderful children, four, four in total, and um, we, two and two beautiful daughter-in-laws now that have been added this past year, and a grandchild coming in April. So these, yeah, all right, one of you, that's great. So these interpersonal relationships are something that I just love, I enjoy, we have fun together, and yet I also understand that it, it takes work. And it's, and it's difficult at times, and there's times where these Christian graces and virtues are going to be tested. But, but Paul now, in the Word of God, begins to lay out some wonderful helps and instructions for us in all of these relationships that are meant to indeed secure a, a holy and happy household together. So let's get into, into this now. Verse 18, <laughs> wives, submit to your own husbands, as is fitting in the Lord. I'm just the messenger, remember that, okay? <laughs> I, I'm not, this is, I'm just a messenger, but this is God's word to us. Now, the term for submit has in mind the military, where you have people under a rank. And so this word submit ultimately literally means to arrange under. See, the Lord has arranged the marriage relationship in a way where the husband is to lead and the wife is to follow. There's a clear order given. How many people here like order? Some of you? <laughs> okay. How, really? How many people like, I love order. Order's a good thing. Because without order, what do you have? Chaos. chaos. You know it. Some of you actually like chaos, I'm assuming. that You didn't raise your hand. So Bring on more chaos. I like things to be a mess. And that's what happens when you don't have order. Things get very messy, you see. And so God says, I, I want to have an arrangement, an order in place, because then you're going to experience something that's a, a blessing and blissful rather than it being just chaos and, and messy. So he gives specific instructions and order here in the relationship. Now, understand something. This is not by any means trying to speak of any kind of inferiority. We don't look at women as less than and those that just have to follow and obey because, or submit because they don't have a mind of their own. This is not at all what is being said. But there's an order being placed here. The husband is not to order the wife around, but understand that God has put an order in place and the husband is to recognize now that accountability that he has before God in that role of leadership and headship in the home. Now, here's the thing, guys, is that this is all seen very clearly and exemplified for us within the Trinity. Because here's God existing with complete equality in the, in the Trinity. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are all completely equally God. And yet there's an order that's been placed within the Trinity. Jesus came to fulfill the will of the Father. He came to submit to the Father's will. The Holy Spirit comes into the world not to make himself known, but to make Jesus known. And again, a, a submission and, a, and an order that's been given there, it's all seen and exemplified within the Trinity itself. Now, 
the role and submission of the wife has at times sadly been misunderstood to think that again now the wife is less than or the woman even it can be taken is less than and so they just need to listen to men in general that's not what the bible says now what does the bible say wives submit to your own husbands why is it not called to submit to any person that's a husband that has that title of a husband i don't go up to any woman and say you just need to do what i'm telling you to do because i'm a man no i say you need to do what i'm telling you to do because i'm your pastor you need to just do it no i don't I don't say that even. I don't even go there. But I have no right to go and tell another woman or the wife of another man, you just need to listen to me because I'm up here. No, no we're, there's equality. We're not, we're not addressing anything that's a, a, a person or a gender that's inferior by any means. Bible makes it clear. Why is, you submit to your own husbands, not someone else's husband. This is not a universal position for men to hold over women. And this submission does come with a caveat. Look it. It's to be carried, it says at the end of verse 18, as is fitting in the Lord, right? So wives, you're to, you're to submit, but to submit in a way that is fitting to the Lord. Meaning, if your husband comes along and asks you to do something, tells you to do something that is an area of sin or is in contradiction to God's word, guess what you get to do? You get to hold your submission to God above your submission to your husband. You get to say, honey, that is completely wrong and out of bounds with the word of God. And I must submit to the Lord above you. The Bible says that we're to obey God rather than men, right? So we're to have our submission to the Lord. Now, wives, don't try to, you know, do scriptural interpretation gymnastics here where you say, you know what? I don't think I'm supposed to do what you're telling me to do because I think, you know, what the word is actually saying. When I, when I look at the Greek and I bring out my concordance and all these things, I don't think it really means that I need to do what you're asking me to do. I think I have a scriptural. No, I mean, don't be doing to try to pull these things around. I think it'll be very clear when a husband is asking you to do something contrary to scripture. Until that, you're called to walk in submission to your husband and, and allow your husband to lead. It doesn't mean that you can't share opinions and you can't give direction, that you, uh, you can't go to your husband and say, you know what, I think the decision you're making is a very bad one. My wife says that to me more times than I can count. But here's what she also does. But if that's what you feel the Lord leading you to do, then, then you have at it. And you're gonna have to answer to him one day. And she takes great delight in being able to take the hands off the wheel and say, this is on you, bud. <laughs> and it brings me to a place of great fear and trembling. Lord, I don't want to blow this now. She, I, I, and, I, and I go to her for her opinion oftentimes because she's a smart woman. I'm glad for her. I'm thankful for my wife. And we'll have to talk about these things. But ultimately, God has put me in a place to, to lead and to lead spiritually in the home, not just in regards to, well, I'm gonna go buy a, you know, a really nice new truck now and you just have to submit to that. It's about leading spiritually as well. And so, wives, you have a great position to be able to say, all right, I, I'm gonna give you my, my opinion, my thoughts, but ultimately, you're gonna lead and, and you're gonna answer to the Lord now for that. So, ultimately, here's the great thing, is that we're all called to walk in submission to one another, right? 
wives, don't look at this as being, oh man, the Bible keeps dumping on women. The Bible keeps making women in this place. No, the Bible, Christianity reveals that we're all in that place where we're to submit one to another. It says as much in Ephesians 5.21, right before Paul in Ephesians 5.22 reveals again, he says right before that, submitting to one another in the fear of God. And then in verse 24 of Ephesians 5, therefore just as the church is subject to Christ, meaning that we're to be in submission to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands and everything. Paul holds that up as the example. Wives, here's the example how you're to submit to your husbands, just as the church, meaning all of us, men and women, are to be subject to Christ. We're all to be walking in submission one to another as we all submit ourselves to the Lord. So wives, take a deep breath, sigh, a, sigh of relief now, because it's the husband's turn here, okay? Verse 19, husbands, love your wives and do not be bitter toward them. So we see wives are called to submit but here's what husbands are called to do, to love their wives. And not just love, but to love your wives as Christ loved the church. How did Christ demonstrate his love to the church? He died for his bride. Wives, you're called to submit, we're called to die. If you ask me who's maybe got the easier end of the deal, I'll take submission any day. We have to do the death walk daily. We have to die. That's difficult, that's tough. But you see, what's interesting is it's, it's love that the woman typically and more innately desires and craves, and it's respect that the husband typically needs. So God, in his infinite wisdom, he orders and establishes this great responsibility of the wife and the husband that's ultimately going to meet that most innate desire that we have. Wives want to be loved. Husbands are called to love their wives. Husbands want to be respected and listened to. Wives are called to submit to their husbands. And here's the thing. We're not called to remind ourselves or remind, sorry, our spouses of what they're called to do or to remind them of what they're not fulfilling and doing. That's not our role. Our role is to simply carry out our God-given role and responsibility according to his word. I don't have to worry about my wife not submitting. I have to worry about me loving her the right way. And when I begin to love my wife the right way, she's gonna have no problem submitting to me. The woman doesn't need to worry about how come my husband isn't loving me? How can he not be more affectionate to me? She just has to worry about submitting to her husband. And when she begins to submit to her husband, the husband's gonna say, man, I have got an incredible, amazing wife that I just wanna shower with this devotion and, and love towards her. See, when we begin to carry out our own responsibilities, it, it begins to bring that relationship together in a much greater response or a great harmony together. That's the idea when there's order you're removing the chaos and you're bringing harmony together. It's a great reciprocal thing that you see. And then husbands, you're reminded, it says in verse 19, to not be bitter toward them. It's almost written as though this might be an expected potential outcome in the marriage. Peter says in 1 Peter 3, 7, husbands likewise dwell with them with understanding. Again, Almost understood as though you're gonna need husbands 
a lot of understanding to dwell with your wives. Any of you who have been married for two, three, 40 years, you know full well that you need lots of understanding because our wives just keep us guessing. Just when we think, just when we think we've got them all figured out, they just completely change the manual. They flip the game right upside down and there are times it might make you a little bitter and get you a little frustrated to think, well, I thought we were going so well here and all of a sudden this just got flipped around. But the Bible says, don't be bitter towards them. God has made them different than you to break you down and bring you to a slow, painful death to where you relinquish all self and learn to love unconditionally and sacrificially. I think that's what the wise were, what the game plan might be. But, but you see, here's the thing is we need that, men. We need that. We need to learn. I, I need to die. To, I need to not be bitter. I need to have better understanding for my wife because when I do, when I'm not trying to, you know, just figure them out or try to fit them into a mold that I think needs to be, when I just dwell with understanding and I'm dying to self, then I see that's the place that I'm going to experience a joyful and blessed marriage. That's, that's what it takes. And so God gives us some great instructions for the wise and husbands, and we could spend a lot and lots of time talking about this. Our time this morning is not gonna suffice for the stuff that we can get into. I'd love to do a marriage conference coming up. Let's pray for that this year. Because we need to be reminded of these things. This isn't to say a marriage conference because we got a lot of broken marriage. No, it's to say we need to be reminded of these things. But understand again, you are simply called to carry out the role you've been called to fulfill and the responsibilities God has given you in your marriage. Don't, don't look at your marriage and go, well, you know, my, my wife is not the same person that I married and maybe I made a bad mistake marrying this guy. It was probably the, the wrong thing to do. If only, you know, I was married to the right person. It's not about being married to the right person. It's about being the right person. And that's the key right now for us to look at and go, it's not about what they're not fulfilling for me, it's about what I can now fulfill and how I can serve my spouse. It's not about finding the right person, it's about being the right person. Bring these things into your marriage. Follow what God says and you're gonna experience a great companionship rather than a sinking ship as some marriages can be because they fail to align themselves with God's word. God's put it together for us here. So let's fulfill those things. Well, verse 20. Children, yes. Anybody ever been a child before? All right, great. So this is for all of us here. Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Now, in verse 18, we saw the word submit, which is the Greek word hupotasso. Uh, and now this word obey in verse 20 is the Greek word hupakuo, meaning to here under authority. Submit meant to arrange under, but now hupakuo, same root word of submit, obey, means to hear under authority. And again, it's, it's bringing to mind this military illustration as though a commander gives an order, and as a commander gives an order, you're, you're going to be listening intently to carry it out. That's what, what you do. You never reply, and listen, I'm going to 
get to that later, bub. Or forget about it. You can't tell me what to do. That's not going to fly in a military rank. So like a good soldier, you now as children are seeking to obey the orders that all may go well with you. And my intention is not to compare family life with military. That's a, not a good kind of you know, scenario that we want. But the idea here is that as children, there should be a desire to obey and not resist these things. Children, your role is not to kind of, you know, examine what your parents are to do and say, but why? I don't like that. Why should I do that? Tell me what, your job is not to question and try to, your job is just to obey. It's just to follow what your parents, and, and, and guess what? There's going to be times where your parents tell you to do stuff that you don't want to do. And your job is not to try to skirt around that or try to find a, a loophole in that. Your job is just to obey. It's, it's quite simple. Now, in this day, as this letter is being sent by Paul, who's in prison, he's writing this letter, he sends it to the church at Colossus. They would have gathered the church together in Colossus and opened up this letter and read it together. The children would have been present with the parents there in their reading. And in this day, children lived under a strong parental authority, absolute authority. And Paul's not saying Christianity now absolves you from living under this kind of rule. Rather, as Christians, you should be all the more living in submission and obedience to that authority that's above you. This is what Paul is saying here for us. And you should do so because it's well-pleasing to the Lord. I love that at the end of verse 20. This is well-pleasing to the Lord. Anytime that I find something in Scripture that makes it very clear, this pleases the Lord, that's something I want to take note of. I want to underline that circle. I want to say, God, I want to be sure I'm doing this. You want to be pleasing to the Lord? Man, there's some things in God's Word that makes it very clear. This is what pleases the Lord. And children, you obeying your parents pleases the Lord. You may not like what they're asking you to do. It may not be pleasing to you. But your obedience becomes pleasing to the Lord. And do it unto Him. Do it in an act of, of worship and service to the Lord. This brings a, a, a greater and higher calling on what we're doing. Well, we move into parents now, verse 21. And it says, fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Some have thought that only fathers are mentioned and singled out here because fathers have a harder time with, you know, not provoking children and, and showing that kind of compassion and love, whereas it comes very naturally oftentimes to, to mothers. Uh, it could be, and, and this, the word fathers is also written in the plural sense. So some believe that, you know, the writer here really had in mind parents together, not just fathers singularly, but parents plurally here. And so moms, you're not off the hook here. This is something that we can all glean from, but parents are called to lead their children and instruct them. This means that they are to, to set boundaries. And yes, that means saying no at times to your kids. That means not just giving in and just kind of wanting to spoil them. It means setting boundaries and, and at times bringing discipline and consequences. Children need that. I think, you know, in our generation, we've kind of 
gotten away from that where we've moved from, you know, a consequence-based parenting to a coddling-based parenting where we don't want to hurt our kids. We don't want to, you know, ruin their their self-esteem or make them feel any kind of hurt. So we want to protect and coddle and just give them what they want, make them happy. And, And it's kind of turn into that. I'm not saying that as a blanket statement, but you certainly see that kind of attitude growing a lot. But ultimately, we're to, we're to model the grace and love we have seen from our Heavenly Father. Because God's a God that loves His children, and yet it says in Hebrews that He chastens those whom He loves. He He disciplines those whom he loves, but he does it in a very loving way, in a corrective way, so that the children can be strengthened, so that they can grow as a result. And and that takes work. Parents, you're called to to lead your children. You're called to discipline, but to bring correction and, and help into their lives. And we're called to model that same example we have in our Heavenly Father. I I I remember kind of that hitting me one day as a as a young father my kids and kids would do something that just kind of you know irritated you frustrated you and it'd be very easy to just kind of react when just kind of that sort of bitterness and frustration and one day it just hit me i realized you know i'm so glad that god doesn't respond that way to me when i mess up when i when i walk in disobedience i'm so glad that god doesn't react to me that way and i just it just hit me and it broke my heart to say I don't want to be that kind of parent to my children that just reacts. I want to show that love and that grace. Yes, I need to speak and instruct and discipline, but to do so in love. And to do so in a way that's not provoking your children and causing them to be further discouraged. Now, in the ancient world, children were very much under the domination of their parents. The supreme example was the Roman patria potestas, the law of the father's power. Under it, a parent could do anything he liked with his child. He could sell him into slavery. He could make him work like a laborer on his farm. He had even the right to condemn his child to death and to carry out the execution. All the privileges and rights belong to the parent and all the duties to the child. That's heavy. And it's, it's easy to exercise domination and instill fear in a child under that kind of code but this isn't what god's word teaches us or instructs us in we're instructed to not provoke our children don't be a brute that isn't tender and loving to your child don't be a pushover by any means who's afraid of discipline but don't be a pushover or 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 a harsh and hard towards your children come alongside them just like we see even in verse 12 with that tender mercies and kindness and humility parent well but do so as we see our heavenly father leading and directing and and disciplining us when we need it ephesians 6 4 says and you fathers do not provoke your children to wrath but bring them up in the training and the admonition of the lord it's easy to bark out orders and be hard on your kids but it takes real effort to train them up in the ways of the lord that's going to be to their blessing and to yours as well. Take time to rightly parent according to God's word. We have to be setting an example because our kids are taking note and we are helping them form those kinds of characteristics and traits in them now. 
When Woodrow Wilson was president of Princeton University, he spoke these words to a parents group. He says, I get many letters from you parents about your children. You want to know why we people up here in Princeton can't make more out of them and do more for them. Let me tell you the reason we can't. And it may shock you just a little, but I'm not trying to be rude. He said, the reason is that they are your sons reared in your homes, blood of your blood, bone of your bone. They have absorbed the ideals in your homes. You have formed and fashioned them. They are your sons. In those malleable, moldable years of their lives, you have forever left your imprint upon them. So let us be leaving the right kind of imprint on our children, a godly imprint that models for them our Heavenly Father in the way that we parent and train up our children, not provoking them, not moving them on to bitterness or to be discouraged, but to experience what a loving home is like with parents that care for and lead their children well. Well, moving into verse 22. Bond servants. It says, Obey in all things you, your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men pleasers, but in sincerity of heart, fearing God. Now, in the Roman Empire this time, it was believed there were upwards of six million slaves. That's a lot of slaves. And, and interestingly, we don't see Paul in Scripture fighting for the abolition of slavery, but rather he challenges each individual to behave as a Christian within that social structure. That went for the slaves, but it also went for the masters, as we'll see in a few verses here. And so our comparable application for this today would be, you know, employers and employees. So whatever social structure you find yourself in, the lesson is clear, serve the Lord in it. Christianity does not cause you to be escaping from it. Christianity didn't offer an escape of our circumstances. It offered us the ability to conquer over those circumstances and to live out a godly, faithful life in the midst of those things around us, whatever social structure you find yourself in. So slaves here, they're called too to obey their masters and to do their best on the job and not just do their best when their master is watching them as it says there in verse um, 22 not with eye service right meaning that you're only acting a certain way because your boss is looking at you you ever done that before right it's like oh boss is watching quick act like you're really working well you know and then he turns away it's like oh phew okay i can take the foot off the pedal relax a little bit now right and and, and so i said don't do it with eye service don't do it just to to please your boss, you're to be the best employee. You're to, be, you're to be giving it your all and you're to do so because you fear God, because you wanna honor the Lord in that. Whenever you have a boss that's a brute or a boss that you don't particularly respect, as a believer, you serve them and you serve them well because in doing so, you are serving God. And then it says, in sincerity of heart. This meant being genuine in your work. The word sincere in the Greek means singleness. In other words, there's no duplicity or deceit in your service. You're giving your all to the task. You're not kind of sloughing off. And again, acting one way in front of your boss, acting another way behind your boss's back. If I were to give some kind of random, you know, example or illustration, it'd be like a person that was you know, working at Sears in Richmond in the late 80s and working the hardware department and they, you know, go up to the upper level in the stock room to check the stock, but what they're actually doing is taking a nap, right? 
it would just be weird and wrong. And it's not what we're called to do. And so it says in verse 23, and whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that from the Lord, you will receive the reward of the inheritance for you serve the Lord Christ. See, when I was up there taking the nap in the, st- I mean that person, that <laughs> illustration of a random person, when they're up there taking the nap, they're not serving the Lord, right? With all that they've got, they're not, they're not doing it heartily, saying, man, I just, I'm excited that I work and I can just serve in this environment. So whatever you do, do it heartily. Do it with all your might and you do it as to the Lord and not to men. So whatever your position is, your work can suddenly take on greater dignity and worth knowing that whatever you do, you're not doing it unto other people or for other people. You're not doing it for yourself. You're doing it ultimately to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, and there's great reward in so doing. Notice this, when you are serving the Lord in it, he's the one that rewards you. Look at that, you will receive the reward of the inheritance in verse 24. Now, this is important because this promise must be viewed in light of the fact that a slave, as Paul is addressing, a slave had no legal right to an inheritance on earth, even if one was left to them. So that slave is working going, man, it's kind of like a dead-end job here. I'm not going anywhere. I'm not going to really, truly benefit from this other than just to be spared my life. But now Paul is saying, listen, you've got an inheritance from the Lord. And as you work you get to serve the Lord in it and know that he's the one that's going to ultimately reward you and bless you. That again brings me greater motivation to to do whatever I do to do it unto the Lord. So whether Daniel is cleaning toilets or not, he can now do it unto the Lord. Go, God, I just get to bless you in this and be rewarded for me. Whatever you find yourself doing, We get to do it unto the Lord and for his glory alone. Verse 25, but he who does wrong will be repaid for what he has done and there is no partiality. Christian workers should be the most hardworking, honest workers there are. And and what a shame it is when we appear anything but. And understand, we will answer to the Lord for our actions. There's no partiality. God's not just gonna say, oh, well, you know, you were a Christian and you had a pretty tough boss, so no big deal, no. There's no partiality. It says, did you serve and serve well? And did you do that unto me? See, this was revolutionary talk in Paul's day to say something like there's no partiality. Because when you had the relationship of a master and a slave, that relationship could be quite harsh. Again, the slave had no rights. But in Christ, We all have become one. There's no partiality. We're all on equal ground and we must serve Jesus together now with this mindset. Lastly, chapter four, verse one, just kind of ties into this. It says, masters, give your bond servants what is just and fair, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. So masters or employers, you're called to be just. Why? Because you yourself are under authority. Nobody can properly rule unless they themselves understand that they too are also ruled. Though a person might be in a position of authority, they must understand that they too are under authority. If they fail to see that, then they will be tempted to lead in a 
harsh dictatorialship style of leadership. We'll all have to stand before our master in heaven one day and give an account of what we've done here on earth. So employers, do what's just and fair because you've got a master in heaven that you give an account to and you yourself are under authority. So lead rightly, lead godly. In all these things, worship team, you guys can come up here. In all these relationships, we're called to take things to a, a, a whole new and higher level as being those that are in Christ. Ultimately, we fulfill all these roles in a way that brings honor and glory to God because we serve Him ultimately in and through it. Wives submitting to husbands, husbands loving your wives, not being bitter to them, children obeying your parents, parents not pushing your children to discouragement and wrath, not provoking them, employers and employees serving one another well because there's no partiality. It brings us to a whole higher level in these callings that we have. God gives us faithful and good instructions that are meant to bring about blessing in all these relationships that we find ourselves in. And so may we begin to put these things to practice and live these things out as hard as it might be. Live these things out because all you can do is take care of what you're called to do and leave the rest with the Lord, all right? Let's stand together. Let's pray, and then we're gonna worship. So Lord, we thank you for these great godly biblical instructions that pertain to our everyday lives and relationships around us. Help us, Lord, to carry these things out well and obediently and to serve you above all in all that we do, we pray in your name, amen.